on the edge. Once again, this is Kenny G here on Stay Woke. And uh, bad news, my guest will not be able to join us, but that's okay. The show must go on. I guess this is radio. Even though it's not professional radio, things happen and you have to adjust. First, here's why you need to stay woke. According to author Lindsay Peoples, in 2015, under 1% of designers found in department stores and major e-commerce sites are people of color. Also, the fashion industry is a 1.2 trillion global industry with more than 250 billion spent annually on fashion in the United States. So that's what I want to talk about today, the fashion industry, because I saw a very interesting documentary on Netflix titled Fresh Dress. And I was doing some homework and I just clicked on it just as background noise. But it was really interesting because it showed the history of fashion from the plantation, starting at the plantation all the way to how the gangs used it in the South Bronx. And then, of course, it showed the transition to hip-hop and how it plays such an important part in hip-hop as well. And I really couldn't stop watching it because it talked about the different designers, minority designers, uh, especially like the black designers, and how they started in the industry and how they kind of grew their brands. And although they grew their brands and all the celebrities were ringing them, for people such as Carl Jones and Carl Kanai, Carl Kanai had a um, popular brand with his last name displayed on it, Kanai, which was worn by Tupac in like most of his videos. And then Carl Jones had the cross colors, which was made famous by Will Smith on the Fresh Prince show. So if you've never heard of those two, go back and watch the Fresh Prince and all those loud colors he had on as far as sweaters and shirts. That probably was cross colors. And then Carl Kanai, if you watch some Tupac videos, you'll see the Kanai brand, which I had never heard of, but it was really popular in, like, the 90s. And it was interesting because it showed, you know, everybody wanted to be fresh. And so, and it talked about how in the in the Bronx, in New York especially, the local people would influence the rappers, not the other way around. So the rappers would come in and they would see the people from the Bronx or Brooklyn or whatever, and they would see them in different gear, and they would wonder, like, what are they wearing? And go search it out. And you would know who was from a different borough, Queens, Brooklyn, and what have you, Staten Island, because they all had a certain style, which was interesting. And so as they they kind of made these brands popular, so the Calvin Kleins, the Gucci, the uh, Versace so the rappers started wearing them, and of course, once the rappers started wearing them, they were they would go worldwide because they had that brand, they had that audience that would see them wearing these different designer clothing line, lines. And of course, as 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 with everything, as the popularity grew, more more I guess minorities got into the mix. So you have P Diddy with the Sean John clothing line. You had Fubu started by Damon John and his partners. You had a couple of different other brands that started to take note of what the youth were wearing. And although when they started out, people tried to label it as urban wear. But, of course, no one likes to be put in a box. And so they wanted to expand their brand, saying this is not just urban wear. Anyone can wear it. And, of course, as hip-hop popularity began to take over the world, a lot of people wanted to emulate their favorite rapper. 
And then the the rappers started to flood the market with with their own brand. So you had 50 Cent with his shoes, and you had D12, which is the group that uh, Eminem kind of started or was in. You had D12. So all of these rappers, like, you know, we're not just going to promote these brands. Now we're going to make our own brands. And so they began to, like, kind of flood the market and saturate the market. And so the documentary talked about, although... A lot of people did well in the fashion industry. They made money. You know, P. Diddy is a multimillionaire and what have you. Black people especially always reverted back to the brands of Gucci, Louis, and as the kids now say, Truly, the true religion that's that's popular now. And so they always revert back to these designer brands, even if they do have the option of buying minority-owned clothing line. And I thought that was interesting the The focus of the documentary wasn't to wasn't to examine why black people don't support black business for a long extended time. You know, it was just a kind of like a history of of what it means to be fresh. But the deeper meaning was, to me, was will black people ever create luxury brands like Ralph Lauren, Gucci, and Versace that are long lasting? I mean, some of these. Brands have been around for decades, and although the designer, the original designer, like Gianni Versace, passed away, he was killed in 1997, I believe. Although he's no longer here, the brand Versace <laughs> still lives on, still carries weight, is still expensive, still considered a luxury brand, and it just brings up the question: Why aren't minorities able to create a brand that lasts for decades? And I just got to thinking about it, and I wonder, is it really more than just the price? You know, a lot of people say, you know, luxury brands, because I'm sure there are minorities that have started that have started fashion uh, lines that were just as pricey as a Ralph Lauren or Gucci, yet they eventually fizzled out. And I think it's more than just price, but along with buying Gucci, you have that status and that respect. And so for me, I think about when, like I got over wearing designer brands a long time ago once I realized that buying designer didn't actually grow my bank account. It actually did the opposite <laughs> and hurt it. And so I, but people buy you gifts and sometimes people buy you expensive gifts. And so when I will wear my coach shoes or my Michael Kors bag, People people recognize it. That's a, it, they are very recognizable brands. They do a their marketing department does a very good job as far as who they're targeting and how their brands are strate- strategically placed. So people recognize those brands, and when they see me, and they they you know they may like the color, they may just like the brand. They give me compliments. I mean the compliments don't stop when I have certain brands on. And it's just, and it always, of course, who who doesn't like getting compliments? That's why the the documentary, Fresh Dress, who doesn't like to be fresh and be noticed? But I believe that it goes a lot deeper. And, of course, only certain people, you know, talk about this because it's not probably not a popular opinion or something that people just don't want to discuss on a day-to-day. But it honestly goes a little deeper than just being fresh. I believe black people in in general or, you know, singling out black people 
that it's kind of like a psychological warfare going on. Because I believe we've been programmed to look at certain things and believe that status and, and uh, I don't know, respect kind of comes with, with buying those brands. And if, I'm got, if I have on Sean John, okay, people might know P. Diddy, but they might say, you know, P. Diddy is a rapper. There's no status. There's no respect when I'm wearing Sean John. But if I put on Versace, who was a designer from, you know, maybe Italy or, you know, one of, somewhere over in France, you have a lot of uh, House of Versace. You know, you have all these different brands that are in different countries. And so people think that's like exotic. <laughs> you, you're wearing these different brands. That's exotic. And so there's no, there, there's pride. That's what the word I'm looking for. There's pride in wearing those brands. There's no pride in wearing a minority owned brand. And I was just looking up and I was just thinking, like, it seems like we've been brainwashed to have this mentality. So I found that Don C. Sawyer, a doctoral candidate of sociology at Syracuse University, explains that marginalized cultures, underrepresented people like blacks and Latinos, use clothes as a way to define themselves. He says the clothes we wear tell a story where we've been and what we value in context of experience in society so the clothes our clothes tell a tell a story and it's like underrepresented people don't want to be they don't want to be left out of the conversation so just because you can't own like just because you can't afford a certain car or a certain piece of clothing you don't want to be left out of the conversation where you see others with gucci louis and true religion on and so we put on this facade for some of us. You know, you might not have any money in your bank. The documentary addresses it. People were saying, you know, you may not have any money in your bank account, but you had on the Fresh Jordans, you had on Calvin Klein, and you had on Gucci or Versace shirt. All of these clothes, all of all of that together, probably could have paid people rent for about six months. But the concept of not being left out and having some type of self-respect and wearing your self-worth through material things is a deeper conversation that not many people want to have because I don't think a lot of people want to admit that blacks or underrepresented folks are covering up for something a lot deeper. Even you had um, in the documentary a guy named, he goes by the name of Mayor. He's like a shoe aficionado. I mean, everybody knows this guy because he owns, he might he might own close to 100,000 shoes. That, I'm probably cutting him short. It's probably, it's way more, it's, he, he owns thousands of shoes. And he tells the story that when he was younger, growing up in New York, he asked his mom to buy him some shoes. So they may not, they probably didn't have a lot of money. So she goes out and she gets him some shoes called Marks 5. I've never heard of these shoes. It's probably a reason why I never heard of these shoes. And he said he thought it was cool because because his name is Mark. But of course, when the when he got to school, all his friends clowned him. Because he was wearing a no name brand. And so as you to me that says from beginning, people are learning to value brands. Children are learning to value brands over having self respect in your pro in your culture and the things that you're learning from your parents. And so I, I just think it's a deeper message that's being taught to kids, and people need to have more conversations about 
why designers, designer brands are so big in the minority cultures. And what does that do for the minority cultures? How does that hurt hurt our cultures? And, and as you can see, people see stories online where people are being killed, black men are being killed over Jordans. Now, I don't know on what planet that that makes sense, that you would kill somebody over some shoes. But that's what they've been taught, That's what, and that's the message that's being put out there. And so it's a conversation that I think would have been great with my guests that, that was supposed to come on. Um, but we might resume this conversation and ask him his thoughts. He, he has his own clothing line. And so just the thought of minorities, supporting minorities, and creating a long-lasting brand that would invoke pride in, in one's own culture as well as someone else's culture. But my second guest did walk in. He did not fail me. Let's see what Mike, you're on. You're on, you're on three. Yeah. Hello. And so <laughs> I don't know if we want to. We'll take a we'll take a quick music break so we can recoup. And but when we come back, we're going to talk about the water genocide a little bit that went on in Flint and why that's going to affect Milwaukee. And so if you know somebody from Milwaukee, if you're from Milwaukee, <laughs> you might want to tune back in as we discuss. What's going on with the pipes down there? Now we have Reconciled. Never would have made it.
Chevy. Ride up by the mouse and won't heavy. See me on my grind, I was growing. They told me to keep singing, so I'm flowing. Then I wrote an album called Built That. That blew up, but never hit the billboard. I was straight singing for my soul. Now I'm jaded, gotta stand up, take control. Yeah, we talk na na na. You talk about we live it. She's from around these streets. From one six nine, I mean we ain't playing. I I put that on my mama. Oh, 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 yeah. I told you we ain't playing. I I put that on my mama. Back here on the edge. And we're talking about the Flint crisis now. I am joined by now friend, friend of the show now, Kyle. Ooh. Ooh. You got upgraded before, yeah. from special <laughs> guest to, to friend of the show. I'm excited. This is my first time on and it's, yeah. it's going to be fun. We, we tried to get you on uh, last semester. Yeah. Didn't work out. No, it didn't work out, but I'm here now. So. That's And that's all that matters. And you saved me. Because certain things didn't go right, yep. but that's okay. That's how it works. <laughs> that's that's what I said in the opening of the show. I said this may not be professional radio, <laughs> but I'm going to have to learn that in professional radio, things happen, guests cancel at the last minute, and what do you do? You just roll with the punches yep. and see what you can drum up. So if you haven't heard by now, there's pretty much a water genocide going on in Flint, Michigan, and... It was all because the city was providing. They stopped using the, the Detroit water, and they started providing their citizens with improperly treated river water, which corroded the plumbing system and exposed an unknown number of people to toxic levels of lead. I mean, kids got sick. Yeah. People were losing their hair out in Flint. It was it was terrible. No, lead is known to be, for children under six years old, it can cause irreversible brain damage. It's really a nasty thing. And and I, and I believe that they're trying to, they've signed petitions to get, they've signed petitions to get the governor, Rick Snyder, arrested. Oh. Yeah. And like charged? Like charged. Wow. And some, some uh, I think it was a celebrity, some celebrity was saying that, hey, President Obama, look at all these signatures we have for the governor Rick Snyder to be arrested. And I thought that was interesting because if you if you just tell people that under six, you can have irreversible damage for kids. And we are we've already seen that some kids have been hurt in this crisis. Should he be held responsible? It was his organization. It was his organization that decided we were going to stop using Detroit and we're going to go to a local river. But I just think that's interesting because. To the normal folk, we pretty much understand that charges aren't going to be brought against no, this man. I don't think so. It'd be, I think it'd be a difficult case. Extremely difficult, but I believe it would be valid. I, if, I, yeah, I don't. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility. It'd be interesting to see what a lawyer would say. I just about think how it's, politicians are responsible yeah. for 
what they caused because you could it would be not just him but other people involved it would have to be other people because it wasn't yeah. his sole decision but i just think it's interesting so. because you make decisions and then when they go wrong who's being held accountable yeah how do you how do you change a little kid's life forever and no one is held accountable yeah exactly. i'm not even bringing in the adults because you know a lot of people they may not feel as bad for adults and that's fine you you want to make a case for the adults and whatever actions they could have taken but for a child for his life to be forever i'm I just want to know who can be held accountable. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of the people in Flint wants to know, well, who can be held accountable? Yeah. I, yeah, I think it shows uh, it's not just at the top, but I think there's a lot of different people involved with this that just let it slide. Right. Because they felt that they could get away with it. Exactly. Exactly. And then you have, and so you have these celebrities that are donating water or whatever. And so... Spike Lee says, yeah, Khloe Kardashian said this would never happen in Beverly Hills. Yeah, okay, that's fine that you're, you, I'm glad you recognize that this would never happen in Beverly Hills. But let's figure out why this shouldn't happen again yeah. <laughs> to anyone else, whether you live in Beverly Hills or the worst neighborhoods in Detroit now or in Michigan as a whole. Now, speaking of happening again, the whole reason we kind of bring this up is because this attention to lead pipes and the dangers have brought us to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> As they kind of got this attention on them, uh, I think me and you were both looking at the same article. Um, Wisconsin Watch.org did an article, and then yep. they p- also put it on the um, Milwaukee Public Radio, teamed up with them. They had, like, the same article on their website, and they talked about Milwaukee having as many as 70,000 lead service lines. Yeah, and all of uh, the whole state has up to 176,000. Yeah, it, so. it, they said uh, Wauwatosa, Walsa County has high uh, yep. number of, of lead pipes. And so, and I thought living here in Whitewater, I feel like the water here is terrible. Like, it does my skin no good. I, br- I have breakouts. Like, it's, it's t- it tastes like, I guess, like lead, I want to say. It, t- it tastes horrible. Horrible. It's not the best tasting water, but <laughs> that could be from other factors. <laughs> and so I thought we had it hard <laughs> in in here in Whitewater. Little did I know that it could be a lot worse. Yeah, as far as, a lot worse. As far as b- contamination and being sick as well. And so what are your thoughts on just what Milwaukee's dealing with and the situation they find themselves in? I think... It's it's a really challenging situation because I think at n- it's not a huge crisis now, but there are reports of some people getting sick, but not a large amount. It's nowhere near the state that it is in Flint. But if it's left alone for a long time, which is what this article brings up, is that the laws in place for the process of slowly replacing all these lead pipes isn't doing it fast enough. But... Replacing pipes costs a lot of money. Exactly. And we're living right now in a current time that, especially with our leadership in Wisconsin, that it's very Republican at the moment, doesn't want to spend a lot of money. So it's a conflict. How do you do this without breaking the bank? But you also need to do it. Exactly. And then in that same article I was reading, it says... 
the methods for sampling often fail to detect the highest level of lead in a consumer's home. And then it says, too few homes are sampled, and those that are may not be in the neighborhoods most at risk. Um, it says, the requirement that utilities replace some lead lines when they exceed federal thresholds may actually cause dangerous increases of lead in drinking water, which was interesting. It talked about even if sometimes you replace different pipes, if you don't, like if you shake them, you can shake some lead like into the water. Yeah. <laughs> which can cause you know, damages as well. So, well, I think they were talking about, like, part- if you partially replace it, I don't think they were talking about a full um, full replacement, but, like, if you partially re- replace a pipe, then if you shake it a little too hard, then you, you would have some some damage in your yeah. water. So I'm like, So man. even in <laughs> replacing them, you can cause problems. <laughs> Which so. goes to show you that lead is extremely dangerous. Yeah, and... All over America, we have very age an aging infrastructure. Exactly, and infrastructure is expensive, and it's very often left until the last minute. If you like, look at our highways and roads; mm-hmm. they'll get every bit of wear out of them before they start replacing them. Exactly, because so they don't want to spend. It's yeah, spend that money, <laughs> and then it talks about. It says lead is primarily leached into Wisconsin's drinking water by the corrosion of lead pipes and indoor plumbing components, which is, it has partially to do with the system, the lead, you know, having lead lines, and then also, I think even people's indoor plumbing can can contribute to having lead, which yeah. a lot of people, plumbing is expensive. Yeah. Expensive. People may look down on Joe the Plumber. <laughs> Joe the Plumber is making money. <laughs> yeah. And all those old homes in Milwaukee, if you've mm-hmm. ever driven through there, there's tons of aged homes that have lead pipes back when that wasn't a bad thing. Right. And even if some of them are replaced, there's others that are still corroding. So Exactly. Because I think it says something about, well, I know it said Wisconsin is like one of nine states that, you know, especially, like, their infrastructure was built, like, be- before, like, 1950 and like yeah. that. So, like you were saying, it's been years since some of these things have been, like, built and replaced and looked at and examined, which is scary. Now, yeah. you see, now that mm-hmm. it's 2016 yeah, and things are starting to fall apart, uh-huh. and you're kind of seeing the ramifications of not looking at, not examining things every so, every so often. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, every 20 years saying, maybe we should be replacing something. Maybe we should be fixing up something. I mean, if you have a house and your, let's say your house was built in 1950 and you, you know what I'm saying, you're living in this house, I'm sure every owner is going to change something different. You're not going to leave a house yeah, yeah. from 1950 <laughs> the same. And so that's, you would think you would do your lead pipes or look at your water system um, the same way that making sure that it's, it's being updated, especially with technology with how far technology has yeah. gone. But if you think about it, people just assume that their water mm-hmm. is safe. Yeah, it's, that's <laughs> as long a normal the, human as, assumption you know, assume that the water that you're being given Especially is if safe. it's not coming out like in Flint. That, yeah. that water is coming out yellow. Yeah. You know immediately. That's uh-huh. not normal. That's not how water is supposed to look. <laughs> yeah, not drinking no. water, at least. Yeah. But when you just turn on the pipes here in, the, in white water or Milwaukee... And it comes out clear. You, you feel like you're all in the clear until until you're like me and you actually taste the water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know something's not cool. But 
otherwise, there's no there's no one like a watchdog. I'm sure there are groups that are watchdogs to look over this, but the normal citizen doesn't reach out to a watchdog group to, to examine, you know, what's going on with our water. Yeah. It's not something you check on. No. People are mainly concerned about their money, uh-huh. <laughs> about about their roads that they're traveling, yeah. and different things like that. And so water seems to kind of go in the background. Even though it's the most <laughs> essential thing for humans. <laughs> Even though I think, what is it, your body's 80% water? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is scary when you now that you know you think about it, people yeah, getting sick in it's Michigan. Important. And another thing about this that's really sketchy is the fact that a lot of these old aging pipes affect lower income areas of exactly. the city more. Which is ding ding ding. The reason why I uh-huh. kind of want to talk about it, they know that the people. I'm just going to flip to Michigan. The people in Michigan, the politicians, they listen. If you don't think, if you don't agree. Then we, we need to talk for a long time. <laughs> they knew that they could get away with that in those neighborhoods. Uh-huh. There's no way if those were million-dollar mansions with yellow water coming out of it that they would have ever s- thought that they could have get away with that for a number of years. Yeah. Not at all. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. Or even in Milwaukee, in the wealthier suburbs, mm-hmm. I don't think it would be something that would be pushed under the rug. But exactly. in North Milwaukee... I could definitely see it happening. Exactly. Because, you know, they don't have lawyers at their dispensary. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Like, and they don't have, these people don't have the, the just money on the side to be able to replace pipes in their home. Exactly. That's what another thing And then is. the communities themselves don't have a lot of money that they have, uh, like tax money that they bring in to, to spend. Yeah. So. We were talking before we got on air about, in this article, we both saw where Madison decided that pretty much they weren't going to take any chances. They did not want to be on national news with people hair falling out and people demanding justice. They decided early on that they were going to replace all of their lead pipes with copper pipes, um, which was seen as actually a controversial decision in 2001, they, the article said. But now it's the move is seen as a model for other cities. Yeah, it's really cool that... We were. It's Madison was one of the first in the entire nation to do this, and it's really become like a way for other cities to see how to do it. I think they said part of it. I marked it down. Yeah, they said the 19 million dollar program was partially paid for by property owners, um, and like I said, it's pretty much a model for other cities. And so when you look at it, the program, costs 19 million dollars, which is nothing to sneeze at. No, that's a lot of money. (laughs) At all. And then property owners partially pay for it. Anytime you ask property owners to pay for anything, me, myself included, that's that's not something I'm probably signing up for. But when you see the payoff, then you kind of understand, okay, well, this is what my money actually went to. And now I don't have to worry as much about my water. So in the long run, it pays off. But you have to kind of convince people. Yeah, to that this is going to be a good thing. That's that's probably half the reason why it was controversial. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that made me think about hearing it being nineteen million in Madison. Um, so you, I'm sure you probably heard you're into sports about mm-hmm. the Bucks um, arena that <clears> they're the trying arena. to do. Yeah, and half of that's going to be uh, the taxpayers are going to have to pay for half exactly. Of it. Yep. 
and that's $250 million. Wow. They estimated it could grow to $400 million for the taxpayers. Stop. And then, so at what point do we do we value the bucks over <laughs> safe, safe water. drinking water? <laughs> wow. It's, it's a very interesting, because they just sort of passed this. And that's a whole other thing I could go off about how yeah. These sports teams that are worth millions of dollars will make the taxpayers in the city pay for their stadiums. Exactly. There's a, a, an article just came out about the NFL about how, you know, the NFL has more than enough money to pay for their own stadiums. <laughs> but the, the, the teams put pressure like, we'll leave if you don't pay for this. Exactly. But, so it's this. It's, it's kind of a dirty system. It is. It Not is a dirty of, system, it and probably it, is it, it yeah. really it it's at the expense of the citizens that have to pay taxes for a team to stay when they should be going to clean drinking water first. Exactly, <laughs> and and also with that, I'm sure the the sports people have their valid arguments. But at the same time, four hundred million. Could you imagine what that could do for the, the education system yeah. in Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. I mean, with schools closing and charter schools becoming more and more popular, and more people going to private schools, four hundred million would totally revamp. I'm yeah. sure the yeah. the public system in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, where do we prioritize our money? You know, at the end of the day, how important is another sports team? I understand that. It it's brings something to the economy. Right, and also, I yeah. think this plan, it's not just the stadium. I think they're building around it to, like, yeah, update yeah. the of, city. Of course. But then uh, I know a big thing, especially with the whole taxpayers paying it, is what kind of people go to the nice big stadium. Right. It's not, it's not the lower class people. Right. It's not North Milwaukee. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> especially when they're talking about they're building this new stadium to put in these big luxury boxes. You know, it's... Yeah. Exactly. So that's another big component of this whole stadium building. And so it's who sees the benefit of it? Exactly. <laughs> and who's paying for it? Because I'm sure the people of North Milwaukee are going to contribute in paying yeah. for it. I'm sure some of their taxes are going to go towards building this, yet they can't, uh, on a day-to-day bra- basis, afford a $400 ticket. <laughs> yeah. That I'm sure that's not the going rate for Milwaukee right now. No. But <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they made it into the playoffs. But the, you know, but at the same time. Who's allowing them to like kind of get away with this situation? That's that's like my thing that ha- what you were talking about earlier. These are in those low income neighborhoods where no one's really kind of advocating mm-hmm. for those individuals. And if they are, their voices are drowned out <laughs> by other voices. Exactly. That have more money behind them. Exactly. <laughs> and the and the thing about the media, which I was addressing the media on the last show, the media is very powerful. It's very influential. If anybody has watched Making of a Murderer on oh, Netflix yeah, that's a about great example. Manitowoc County in <laughs> in Wisconsin, as I was watching the documentary, I thought about they showed the news reports. And if I was just watching the news in Manitowoc, I would have said guilty. Like automatically the way the news can they can they report things, which is their job, right? They report things, but when you report without context, Without saying, hey, here's a 16-year-old that was in an um, interrogation without his parents, and he's not very bright, and these are the answers he gave, but instead you just give the answers he gave, uh-huh. and you don't understand the context in which he gave those answers or anything about the young man, 
so the story looks different and mm-hmm. and what is being reported looks different so the media is very powerful and, and last week I talked about there there the minority voice is diminishing as far as ownership and and everything and so like you said their voices are being drowned out because no one's fighting for low income neighborhoods because the 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 media the big media that you know Milwaukee Journal Sentinel or whatever as you know they probably say no we 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 fight for the local people yeah, but you fight for the stories you think are going to matter to the majority of people yeah, because it's people all, it's all about revenue. The money, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the middle class is mostly how it's going to be. It all comes yeah. back to revenue, and you know that. Okay, well, if we talk about lead pipes in low-income neighborhoods, who's yeah? Yeah, is, mm-hmm. are you going to pick that up and read that? Are you going to buy that? Are is you going to subscribe out in to the that? Suburbs where they get most of their money from, are they going to read it? Exactly. Or would they rather? It, write th- that's not yeah. their reality. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a continued cycle where no one's fighting for the lower-income neighborhoods, and then they can't use money to make people fight for them because they have no money. So now they're back in this situation, and it doesn't come to it. That's why the term revolution is always being used in, in these instances because you need a major upheaval in order for people to care. And now you have a situation in Flint, Michigan, where now people care. Oh, yeah, because yeah, my hair's falling out. <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> my took, kids are it sick. To that level, <laughs> it goes to that <laughs> level, and and this is why I have this show is because how can we get to a point where even though we have Twitter, Twitter has been great with oh, as yeah, far as Twitter like social activism, huge. like yep. it's been great. But you just wish it was more voices on the table. You know, Twitter, like you want Tumblr or something to be bigger. Like you know, you need. You need a few more voices to get to the masses. Really, what you need is a few activists that are celebrities, because it's nothing like the audience that they could reach. Yeah, and I think with with Twitter, what you're saying, they have a louder voice and people see it more. Exactly. Twitter's been amazing for for people to get. You know, it, you get to. You don't need to go through the whole system, the whole newspaper system, all of this media. You can bypass it and you can just put out your own stuff. Exactly. The, internet, the internet has been ama- great for different activist groups because they don't need to fight to be heard uh, through existing corporations. They can give themselves the voice. It's still hard for them to get people to find it and listen <laughs> right. to it. But at least they have a platform now, mm-hmm. which is great. And why we should protect the internet. I was just reading a... Oh, yeah. Uh, they keep trying to pass a thing called net neutrality. Yeah, exactly. I was going to do a neutrality. show about it, which maybe you can come back on. We can uh, yeah. have a whole show about net neutrality <laughs> because as I've been researching net neutrality, you know, it's been in the news for a while. And when I talked to my mother, she's like, well, what's net neutrality? And uh, yeah. and I thought it's I confusing. had an understanding about it. But then I learned that <laughs> it, it wasn't even what I thought. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's confusing, <laughs> it's, which it's, makes it easy for them to sneak it past people because exactly. people don't fully understand it. Exactly. And uh, so we, we should have, have a conversation. We should definitely have a show where we just break <laughs> it down in the most understandable terms mm-hmm. for people because it's super important. If you love the internet, <laughs> yeah. if you love... Because it, lo- it has to do with restricting certain things on the yep. internet. And so if you love just being able to Google anything, be able to... Um, creep on anybody that you want <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> and and look up certain things, you definitely want to pay attention to net neutrality. And, it yeah, it makes the news, but you kind of have to – if you see net neutrality, you're going past it unless yeah. you're an inquisitive person like, you know, we are. Yeah. And you just want to say, well, what's that? You know, you just click on it. 
But otherwise, you're like blah blah blah, yeah. <laughs> and you just keep you just keep shaking right past it. And so, I think we definitely should have um, a conversation about that as well. Quickly before we get out of here, I just wanted to leave. It says um, an article talks about because of concerns that water main replacement work could cause lead levels to rise. Milwaukee officials in January informed state agencies that the city is temporarily halting planned work on five miles of water mains serving about 500 homes. So they put it like a hold on what's of, I guess, replacing. So I don't know where. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> where or when they're going to be aggressive in replacing these pipes, but we're definitely going to keep an eye on it. And I would encourage anybody yeah. in the city of <laughs> Milwaukee and Wisconsin to figure out what your local politicians are doing yeah, about the pressure on them <laughs> to make sure that this doesn't get pushed to the back and just be <laughs> cognizant of your water yep. <laughs> and maybe boil it um <laughs> put it in the the fridge and just make sure that everything's okay i'm laughing but no. i have to use like um the little water fountains that have filter water i have to use that all the time as far as just doing basic things because yeah, i can't investment. yeah i can't take take the taste of that water and i know when i go home a lot of things just clear up for me and i'm like well that's because the water and white water is terrible my time has come to an end i want to thank kyle for coming on tell people you know where they can follow you on social media man. oh you can follow me on twitter at earl of trombone and just facebook at kyle thorough nice so yeah good um <laughs> and so yeah, we're ending these two discussions. I talked about the fashion industry, and now we're talking about the lead pipes. But the conversation doesn't always have to end. You can drop a comment on my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash blackradio11 or on my Twitter at servingchrist11. As always, make yesterday jealous by working harder today and give love even in the darkest times. We got more hip-hop coming up. This is Hip-Hop Hum Day. We got a great DJ coming up. He's already in the studio ready to play his music and get things going. And so stay tuned.